So if we can build our business as as a pathway, as a means for resources and uh, visibility to a, a better life for, again, that very vulnerable demographic, um, it's something that, that we're very gratified by. Welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast brought to you by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online and in person for a streamlined experience. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful businesses. This is Shwang Esther Shan, and I'm helping our host, Felix Leah, share a story from Black and Bold, a purpose-driven supplier of coffee and tea pledging partial profits to support youth programs. In this episode, you'll hear from Rod Johnson, who founded Black and Bold along with his childhood friend, Pernell Caesar. Rod shares with us how the duo left behind their decade-long corporate careers to start this impactful business, why it was so important for them to support youth programs and help break cycles of poverty, and what it means to be one of the first nationally distributed Black-owned coffee brands in America. Before the show, I wanted to chat about Shopify Ping. It's a free live chat app for Android and iOS devices. Did you know that shoppers who use live chats are almost three times more likely to complete their purchase? With Shopify Ping, you can share products, exclusive discounts, and help customers make purchases instantly. For more information, visit shopify.com chat. What if the ritual of coffee is also a source of change? Today, we are chatting with Rod Johnson from Black and Bold. Welcome to the show, Rod. Thank you for having me. How did the idea for Black and Bold come to be for you and Cornell? Uh, The business really got to start from a lifelong series of conversations between my best friend and I. Uh, Cornell really rooted in this idea of how could we serve as a resource to the communities and the culture that really resonated deeply with us? Um, so after a decade-long professional career in corporate America, uh, we both respectively felt that there was a void in the business world in ensuring that people in our own backyards were given equal uh, access and resources in exchange for their patronage of this business. And so we threw a couple of things against the wall to see how could we bring that passion to life and the light bulb went off one day that um, we should marry our passion with our affinity for both coffee and tea. Um, so that was really the, you know, the, the inception of Black and Bold. Just through organic conversations, um, we landed on, um, again, bridging the gap between both our purpose and our passion. Yeah, it's crazy to know that Black and Bold is actually, you know, the first uh, nationwide uh, wholesaler for coffee and tea that is black owned. Um, what does that mean to you, especially with the purpose component of your business and you guys driving change through youth programs that you're running as well? So I'd like to amend that just slightly, whereas we are the first nationally distributed um, black owned coffee brand, at least to our knowledge. And that holds a lot of weight. Um, you know, though it is humbling to, you know, serve and be in that position, um, it also makes us wonder why are we the first? Um, you know, there hasn't been much representation as merchants by people who consume the beverage as frequently as as other demographics. And to that point, it compels us to do right by the opportunity. Um, we want to ensure that uh, those who 
have invested in us uh, feel represented and, and feel as though um, um, the commitment that we have uh, to our purpose is, is authentic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times people think about local impact and they think that maybe starting small is easier, for example, with uh, an independent coffee shop. But you guys have actually taken on the role of setting up a wholesaler and through this business that is scalable and it's definitely tougher to start than something like a coffee shop. So how do you actually begin tackling this idea? Um, Well, we were very deliberate about being location agnostic uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, we, one, wanted to do local at scale. So having profound impact, but beyond the proximity of where we were geographically located. Um, our business model gives us the opportunity to allow anyone to participate in that social impact model by doing something that they do every day. Um, so that was one reason why we uh, didn't want to go the traditional route with a brick and mortar space. Uh, and then two, it gives us more flexibility um, in our, our, in our operations, um, as well as the type of partners that we can bring on strategically. Sounds great. I guess it sounds intimidating, right? You have to figure out where to source the coffee and then also establish relationships with people who can distribute and those who are established retailers. What were some of the initial steps you guys took, um, to tackle some of those, uh, questions? Um, neither Purnell and I had professional experience in the coffee or tea industries. You know, our relation to um, those beverages was just by way of our overenthusiastic consumption. Um, so the learning curve was very steep as, as it pertains to um, a, a product sourcing or rather through a product sourcing lens. And it took a lot. So just through normal, um, you know, Google searches and, uh, you know, so being now self-proclaimed graduates of YouTube University, that's really how we started to identify how we could um, insert ourselves into the industry. Um, so we you know, started very small with um, a sample roaster in my friend's garage and, you know, just to understand um, the process of bringing this harvested crop uh, to an actual finished product. What were some of the initial conversations like, you know, you guys believing in this social impact model um, as people without experience in this industry, and then you going towards someone that you wanted to source from? um, How did the conversations uh, went about? Um, Well, those conversations were very organic. Um, Again, not having any professional or established connections to the suppliers of, of coffee um, you know, we really just cast a wide net. Um, we started speaking with micro importers um, you know, a- across the nation who had access to um, the product at scale um, to figure out exactly what type of coffee we wanted to to provide to help bring to life this social impact middle, mission. Rather, um, so those conversations were were very organic, uh, and we ultimately found those who. Um, wanted to be more than just a supplier, but actually a strategic partner because they, uh, in theory, had similar um, aspirations of resourcing the communities of their consumers. 
And when you're initially sourcing coffee, I'm assuming, you know, there's personal preference and blends or roasts that you yourself enjoy. Um, How did you go about sourcing from like a flavor perspective? Sure, sure. So coffee is a harvested crop that ultimately takes on the characteristics of crops that are grown within close proximity. Uh, In all actuality, it speaks to the, the farmer's economics. Um, So those flavor notes that you see, um, uh, we wanted to match those with our own personal preferences. And so, you know, similar to a wine, um, these this crop, these beans, if you will, the pit of the the coffee cherry, um, we wanted to make sure that, again, it it embodied um, what we personally liked as well. And so when we think about, um, you know, our visits to coffee shops um, and, um, uh, our own home brewing methods, um, we sought out very deliberately um, coffees that we think would appeal to those who had similar tastes as our own. How did you move on to the next stage of finding those who can help you distribute and getting retailers on board? You know, Our go-to-market strategy was multi-pronged. Um, we initially launched our um, online store via the Shopify platform. Uh, From there, we wanted to branch out to retail um, distribution because that gives us the the largest opportunity to allow people to participate in that social impact model. So my business partner um, had built a career working for big big box retail, um, and, and that gave us insight to anticipate what questions would be Will be asked of us as we pursue those um, those opportunities, pursue those 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 new distribution channels. So through the formal process, um, you know, we begin to to ask questions and um, um, give ourselves the opportunity to be considered um, for these retailers to carry us on their shelves. Um, to prepare for such, we probably completed maybe twenty. Um, uh, what we'll call them pop-up events um, that um, gave us access to buyers uh, in, in the retail industry. Um, and so establishing uh, those relationships um, and having insight to when those um, those buying periods uh, would begin um, really allowed us to get the brand ready to be considered. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that Pernell has this experience in retail relationships. What were like some of the key questions that you mentioned before that another business should be able to prep for and answer when they're approaching a retailer? Um, so one um, change or alter- alteration we needed to make uh, as a result of uh, needing to be considered was our packaging. Um, and ensuring that uh, it was attractive to today's consumer. Um, you know, if we are going to stand out among um, those legacy brands, um, it was imperative that not only our packaging had some aesthetic appeal, um, but that it actually fit on the shelves. So just understanding that literal landscape um, would be helpful for anyone as they, they want to pursue uh, retail distribution. Um, in addition to that, uh, ensuring that operations would be able to um, meet the demand that exists with having retail partners uh, like you know big box stores. Um, we had to go back to the drawing board uh, a couple of times and really map out what it would take uh, in order to get our operations to a point that um, you know, 
we will be able to, again, like I said, meet the demand that exists with, um, with those type of partnerships. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned these uh, events or pop-ups that you attend so that you can meet the buyers um, during those periods where they're thinking about the future seasons of buying. So um, how does one go about, one, finding these events and determining if these events are worth their time and effort to pursue? The, the answer is simple. Um, you know, the, the buyers and, and these corporations um, see these partnerships as mutually beneficial. Um, so they they are consistently um, marketing when the next one is. Um, and so I would, um, you know, or, or rather what we did was just, you know, simply inquire if there's a, a particular retailer that um, or relationship that you're interested in. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's relatively easy to find um, what events they will be hosting. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, how that looks like going forward, considering the the current state of affairs. But for all intents and purposes, um, those events would be marketed in a way so that they can attract um, uh, uh, merchants essentially to carry on their shelves. Um, How does one uh, prepare so that attending one of those events is like making it worthwhile for their time and energy? It depends on the objective um, that that your your business has, Um, you know, for us, uh, we really wanted to introduce or, or rather integrate ourselves into the um, space where Black founders a- existed. Um, so we would seek out events that were tailored to highlighting and amplifying the efforts of that particular demographic. Um, if And again, the objective drove essentially um, us looking to, to participate uh, in that event. Um, you know, consider the audience, you know, uh, are you looking to grow your B2B sales or our B2C sales? Um, the, the, those type of events, or rather those answers to those questions, uh, will then dictate, uh, the type of events that, um, that you should look to, uh, look to attend. Um, so ultimately the, the objective and the goal that you're looking to accomplish will, um, will, will, will dictate um, the type of events that you look to attend. So once you do get a yes from a buyer, that actually is, you know, a significant increase of sourcing that you need to adjust for. How did you go about figuring out, you know, once you do have this agreement set in, set in place, how do you then go back to those who you're sourcing from to make sure everything logistically works yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, we, you know, we started in our garage and our focus was, you know, just selling to people who we had relationships with. You know, that was our uh, initial audience. And um, you know, once we got that first yes and, you know, the excitement uh, subdues and, and you have to then figure out what is it going to take to meet that, um, we immediately hopped on the phone to um, identify and to bring in inventory that we thought would be adequate enough to supply that initial uh, PO that we received. Um, And and it's just an ongoing process uh, or or a repetitive process from there. Um, We initially um, brought on micro importers um, that we knew had um, more than enough inventory on hand so that when we received that initial yes, um, it, it wasn't necessarily a scramble. It was more so ensuring that we had um, the resources and, and all of our ducks in a row on our end to then activate um, 
um, what that relationship really could look like with our suppliers. I like that. So definitely being prepared and understanding like how the workings of those who you're sourcing from is uh, looking as well. Awesome. So let's, I guess, I mean, within two short years, you guys have worked with some really amazing retailers, Whole Foods, Target. And I know that especially with COVID-19, there is even more complexities. How did you guys work through some of those challenges while kind of maintaining these new relationships? Um, So having retail partners like the Targets, Amazon and and Whole Foods of the world, you know, can contribute to the sustainability um, of the business now and in perpetuity. Um, We were all thrown a curveball with the the pandemic and having those relationships um, solidify beforehand um, was was something we were very grateful for. Uh, Those organizations really believed in us. um, and, And with that vote of confidence, it better allowed for anybody um, who needed that familiar validation to choose us at shelf and continue to choose us um, at shelf. Um, so, you know, in addition to that, we were able to uh, collectively make a, a much larger impact on the community and the demographic that needs us now more than ever, given this global pandemic. Um, and so consumer, um, uh, the consumer behavior uh, has shifted um, in a couple of ways over the last eight months or so. Um, there is a, a heightened focus on supporting small businesses um, to ensure their sustainability uh, during the current state of affairs, um, Black-owned, minority-owned, women-owned businesses as well. Um, and then also um, ensuring that there is a, a sort of a, a vote with uh, one's purchase in businesses that support the communities of their consumers. Um, so really, our business, you know, checked off those three boxes, and that can, you know, attribute. Well, we can attribute um, our um, success during the current state of affairs to that. Do you also find that because of these relationships, they are also in a way helping you guys be known to consumers that otherwise might have not heard about Black and Bold? Absolutely, absolutely. It just, just having lo- home locations um, on those shelves, you know, lends itself to brand familiar- familiarity. Um, you know, people are, are then able to recognize us and, you know, subconsciously, um, you know, it, it, we, we start to, to kind of bleed into, into their subconscious, so to speak, by way of those uh, retail partnerships. So absolutely, it does lend itself very well to having those relationships with getting our product and our brand and our mission in front of uh, an audience that otherwise may not be familiar with us. Let's talk about um, the mission component and the purpose side of Black and Bold. What was it about youth programs for yourself and Purnell that was so important to focus on? Sure, sure. So our mission um, to make you know purpose popular um, is really best defined by that commitment to local and national nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, we pledge five percent of our profits uh, to those entities that are keenly focused on enhancing workforce development. Uh, eradicating food insecurities or youth homelessness, or as well as instilling skills um, about urban farming or, or coding. Uh, we were very um, intentional about selecting that vulnerable demographic because of our own upbringing. Uh, Purnell and I were both um, raised in Gary, Indiana, uh, in ill-resourced households, and um, we're fortunate to have a support system around us that 
um, allowed us to overcome the obstacles that we were initially faced with. Um, we recognize, however, that not everyone is fortunate or in similar positions. And so if we can build our business as, as a pathway, as a means for um, resources and uh, visibility to a, a better life for, again, that very vulnerable demographic, um, it's something that, that we're very gratified by. I mean, especially a time when we're talking so much about changing things on a systematic level, I think it's so cool to see what you guys are doing to break poverty cycles and offer opportunity at those key moments so that youth who are coming from a disadvantaged background can actually have resources versus just aid to kind of grow their skill set and kind of change the direction in which they can lead their life. Absolutely. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, I've spent um, the last decade uh, helping um, institutions of higher education raise funds for a variety of reasons, whether that be scholarship, technological advances, building upgrades, you name it. That's great. Um, But those people are much further along in their journey. And uh, there are others who um, may not necessarily make it to having those opportunities because they didn't have um, insight to um, um, a different way of living. Um, they, they're, they, were, they were limited, um, no fault to their own, but just by way of um, circumstances that they were born into. And so if we can impact people earlier, um, I think that then helps people to um, really realize their full potential. Amazing. I also find that purpose-driven businesses are also operating, it feels like two separate entities at once. Um, There's the mission component and your business component. How do you guys go about balancing the two of profit and purpose? Because I think both are very important for um, your success and also just showcasing that being purposeful can be hand in hand with being profitable as well. Um, you know, the, the more our business grows, the greater impact that we are able to have. Um, you know, that's very simply put. So one inspires the other. Um, we are compelled to ensure um, that our, the way that we conduct business is sound so that we um, are able to contribute more to these organizations that we've already adopted as pledge partners, as well as um, uh, expand that reach to more um, organizations across the nation. So um, you know, we are uh, consistently reminded that um, in order for us to, to really fulfill the purpose and, and, and the mission of the business, um, that we need to have sound practices um, um, that sustain Uh, the impact that we're looking to have now and in perpetuity. I also wanted to ask, you know, there is such substantial growth. When you mentioned you guys starting out in your garage, I imagine everything is very hands-on and you get to know everyone that you're working with or building relationship with. And now that you do have a network of so many retail locations, you do have to let go of some of the control and give these different areas of tasks to other people. How has your mind kind of shifted as you scale up and what had you had to change in order to be able to scale and pass on some of the responsibilities to other people? Um, you know, this is our baby, Black and Bold is. Um, you know, we were, as you mentioned, very hands-on early on um, with... Um, 
you know, roasting the beans um, to packaging the beans to, you know, then shipping them. Um, and so now having to relinquish some of that control in order to grow the business is bittersweet. Um, you know, it speaks to, again, the growth of the business, but um, it, it's a reminder that uh, we want to continue to have this personalized touch, even though there are uh, more hands in the pot, uh, so to speak. Um, so to that point, we've had to um, actually hire uh, and, and bring on employees, um, as well as contractors and some key functional areas for us um, that ultimately allow the, you know, the business to you know, realize it, it, its full potential. So um, though I, uh, I miss the days of actually um, doing some of that myself, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm completely or neither Pernell and I are completely removed from that process, but um, it was of absolute necessity um, for us to source people who um, not only could give us a helping hand, but also believe in the mission um, as much as we do. What were some, I guess, key moments or key lessons that you guys had to work through, but you felt like you learned a lot and um, looking back at it now, like th those were some of the big moments for you guys? Sure. Um, you know, we're still um, digesting and unpacking uh, a moment right now, and, and that's being uh, affected by um, our business being affected by COVID-19 um, and, you know, what we are, what we've learned um, in, in summation would simply be to, you know, stay nimble. Um, you know, this, um, th this, this pandemic that we are experiencing uh, was one that no one could predict. And it really um, flipped upside down our, um, our practices, our approach to business um, and, and what, um, and, and the health of the business at, at one period in time. And so, it's a reminder to not draw such hard lines in the sand, considering that um, you may have to pivot and pivot very quickly in order for your business to, to sustain. And what were some of the areas of um, pivoting that you had to make? Yeah, operations um, was one, um, you know, having to um, furlough some of the employees that we just brought on to service the needs of our retail partnerships. It was a very difficult decision in, um, um, in that moment um, because we know that we are you know, responsible um, for the livelihood of people who, who are employed by us. And, and, um, you know, and then having to run operations um, on, on our, you know, by ourselves for a period of time um, you know, was, was necessary. Fortunately, we are on the other side of that decision and have um, you know, brought back on our staff and have actually brought on more. Um, but in the, um, the immediate aftermath, it was uh, a, a very difficult decision. Um, other areas um, that where we had to pivot uh, was the um, sourcing of our inventory. Um, you know, there was um, a decline in demand um, immediately when the, the pandemic um, hit. Um, and so there was no need for us to continue to bring in inventory at the rate that we had uh, prior to. Um, and, and you know that was a little nerve wracking um, because we didn't know if that decline would continue, um, whereas we would have to close the doors uh, of our business. And so um, again, that just speaks to um, you know, this moment that we are experiencing right now and how flexible um, you have to be um, because we still don't, we're still experiencing it 
um, as we speak today. And definitely each day, each week, there's, you know, new information and change of events. So yeah, to your point, like staying nimble and adapting is super important right now. So what about the moment in history right now where there are so many people that are looking towards you guys as role models in a sense? It's tough because, you know, there's issues on your own end that you're trying to figure out. And then there's also a lot of spotlight. So how do you balance both of it where you're figuring out all the things that are changing because of the pandemic, but then also taking on the role of showcasing that uh, purpose is popular? Sure. Um, I would have to tip my cap to our support system. Um, You know, they are key in ensuring that um, we keep the main things that the main thing, um, you know, those those venting sessions between my business partner and I, um, uh, those many conversations, you know, to remind us of, of why we are um, on this journey are very much so necessary now. Um, it, it is humbling to be in a position to serve as a role model, um, but that fuels us to continue down this path because that's why we started this business and started this journey in the first place. Um, Not necessarily to be role models, but to um, spark the change uh, that really could have um, perpetual impact um, down the line. Um, We're still, you know, figuring figuring that out, um, but just having those open lines of communication with ourselves and those that are around us, um, you know, allow us to um, keep that balance um, of you know, identifying our own vulnerabilities as as new business owners, um, but then also meeting the moment that exists. Um, you know, d- despite uh, our infancy as a company. And I think what's beautiful is that you know, coffee, tea, these are daily rituals. So the fact that you can get someone on board onto the mission and also. Uh, enjoying your flavor profiles is kind of like they're they're committed through this change to their life so like was this something initially that you like definitely gravitated to or were you kind of just you know happy that this is kind of the butterfly effect of bringing change through caffeinated beverages well that's interesting um you know, coffee and tea are the second and third most consumed beverages in the nation. And I mean, that, that might even be globally, don't quote me on that, but at least here in the nation, number two and number three behind water. Um, and so this is, to your point, a daily ritual of millions of people here. Um, and to, to be part of that, to have people trust us with such a delicate um, and um, yet you know, key part of their day, um, it, it is, um, uh, it's inspiring to make sure that, um, one, we get the products right. Um, and that there is a you know, quality that exists in that, uh, exploration process, but then there's also meaning beyond the cup, meaning beyond the beans. Um, you know, you know, given how, again, how important that daily ritual is, um, it now contributes to an either, even more important, um, issue at hand, and that's ensuring that uh, those without are are resourced um, with their bare necessities. Mm-hmm. Are there any future projects or uh, future products that you're able to share right now that you guys are working towards? Um, 
Yes. Um, you know, there's one in particular, um, you know, one one campaign um, essentially that we're working on, and that's to highlight um, highlight our supply chain um, and, and really um, you know, shed light to how to be intentional um, with where you source and how you source and just all, all of one's sourcing practices. So, you know, around National Coffee Day, which is um, September 28th or 29th, uh, end of September <laughs> is probably better. Um, you know, we are looking to launch um, a campaign that, again, will, will shed some visibility to um, the efforts that we take to, um, you know, really be deliberate about our supply chain from end to end, from farm to cup. Um, is a better way to put it. Yeah. And a lot of those relationships, you're impacting individuals uh, globally because farmers themselves, um, they definitely go through a lot because of the fact that, um, you know, depending on the crop, it is a shade crop. There's so much surrounding heritage uh, crops that are going extinct or um, the importance of just being paid fairly um, as farmers. So yeah, that's really great to hear that you guys are also focusing on highlighting the farmers behind uh, the beans as well. Absolutely. And we source our our coffees and all of our products, fair trade where possible. Um, And and in particular, we are um, a little more bullish on bringing to market um, natural processed coffee. Um, And this is something that uh, hasn't been done at scale, and we see the opportunity to do so. Um, this coffee in particular is is very um, unique because it's sun-dried by, by Mother Earth. Um, it doesn't go through the, the power washing um, process of separating the cherry pit from the actual, um, from the actual cherry. Um, and, and again, it speaks to the more um, um, historic process of bringing uh, coffee to the masses. And so that's something that uh, we're really excited about because that's a process that hasn't necessarily gotten its just due on on a national or even global scale. Mm-hmm. I guess also, how does it feel? You know, there might be consumers out there that probably doesn't understand um, all of the history or all of the steps that goes into coffee processing, or they might not know about your mission, but because of their consuming patterns, they're just making approaches. And then in return, they are actually creating all this change through that. Um, Because you're also making this very easily accessible for consumers in general as well. Sure, sure. So again, just by checking something off of one's grocery list, you then contribute back to um, to, to the surrounding community um, locally as well as uh, domestically um, here in America. Um, You know, it's a... um, it's an honorable position to be in um, because, again, that's if you have the means to do so, um, then you should be identifying ways to support um, those who are not in, in your position. And once people um, realize that they can do that by doing something that they do every single day, um, we are we're happy to know that they found uh, and identified that they can do that by way of our brand. Mm. And what was it like working with your childhood best friend? What were some of the conversations before you guys decided that, you know, we could be business partners in addition to friends? 
Um, you know, there were there are benefits, there are pros and cons to working with um, your your friend, a friend of over over twenty years. It allows us to have very intentional conversations, whereas we are um, very upfront and, and honest with each other. Um, you know, and in addition to that, there isn't the hurdle of figuring out whether or not we are aligned to a our greater purpose um, that had been established over. Uh, the last couple of decades. And and so again, it was just a matter of figuring out how could we bring that shared purpose um, to fruition. Mm -hmm. And what kind of dynamics do you guys have? Is it more like complementary? Do you guys kind of look after different areas of the business? Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's the, the one of the pros is that we recognize each other's strengths and we play to those strengths. So um, over the last decade, I've worked in the nonprofit space as a professional fundraiser for both academic and healthcare institutions, while my business partner built a career um, in the retail merchandising space uh, and, and as a salesperson. So those skills absolutely complement each other when we think about the business model that is black and bold. Um, I, though we have no formal background as um, start for starting a business, um, having that professional experience or those respective professional experiences really lend themselves to um, growing the business um, in a way that we've had over the last couple of years. Um, I did wanted to ask you guys about how you guys like your coffee or tea. And I guess what is your like favorite blend currently? And how do you guys go about prepping your beverage? Um, so prior to starting Black and Bold, um, I didn't drink coffee. Um, it was more so uh, if I ever, uh, you know, decided to partake, it would just be to get the caffeine um, because I needed to stay up and study all night in college or I had a long drive ahead of me. Um, so it really wasn't um, a coffee enthusiast. Um, however, that pendulum has since swung now that I've been exposed to a, a different tier uh, of coffee. Um, so personally, um, I like our rise and grind blend. It's a medium roast, uh, whereas it's not polarizing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's inviting for anyone who, um, whether you are further along in your coffee journey or you're just starting out, I think this is something that um, is, is very palatable. Um, and I, I, I consumed that um, through the French press brewing method, which is uh, a personal favorite of mine as well. So that's it on the, on the coffee side, on the tea side of the business. I'm a huge fan of our green chai tea, uh, gives you the, um, the, the taste and the flavor profile of a traditional chai. Um, but then also gives you the health benefits that exist with consuming green tea as well. So great, great products. Um, and they just happen to be, um, our best sellers, um, uh, via Shopify. So um, yeah, definitely uh, would encourage anyone to, to check them out if you're interested in trying some new products. Awesome. Do you know what uh, is Purnell's preferred beverages? I don't know if he drinks a lot of tea. That is something that I will have to find out. But I know uh, whenever I'm at his place, uh, he is um, you know, drinking our um, natural process Limu Ethiopian single origin coffee. Uh, by way of the pour over method. So, uh, you know, just a little different um, than, than the rise and grind, uh, one on the processing method, but then also the flavor notes, considering that it has this chocolate and blueberry um, undertone uh, 
that comes with a, a nice brewed cup of coffee. So I know for a fact that's what he would say is his favorite. Amazing. I'm trying to get into pour overs and practice my smooth, slow pours. So that's exciting. I look forward to all the future projects that you guys have planned, maybe even some branded coffee equipment broom gear in the future so (laughs) coming soon coming soon for sure amazing okay well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me rod thank you i appreciate the opportunity thanks for tuning in to this episode of shopify masters my name is shwang aster shan i would love to hear what you thought about this episode so please leave a review wherever you are listening Next week, Felix is back with another interesting conversation with a Shopify merchant, so please stay tuned for that. Until next time.